Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey listeners, and welcome to the final episode of this crazy year known as 2020. I'm Patch, and with me ready to sing and dance the zombies away is my best friend and co-host Aaron. Ooh-wah, ooh-wah, no such thing as a Hollywood ending. Ooh-wah, yeah, ooh-wah. Yeah. This is why we do a podcast, Aaron, because if we took that on the road, we'd probably have to leave the road <laughs> and come back home. <laughs> I mean, throwing tomatoes at me like zombie brains. <laughs> probably. Well, our Patreon donors have spoken, and coming out on top for our December donor pick is the 2018 movie musical Anna and the Apocalypse, a fitting pick to finish off a year like this. Before we get into the spoilerific part of our podcast, we always start with one-word takeaways if you're not familiar with them. Aaron, why don't you get us started? Man, real quick, before we hit that, I, you're right about how fitting this is to end the year 2020. I didn't even think about it until I was watching it, you know, preparing for the episode. I was like, wow, this really, <laughs> you know, the movie's kind of like all about this random dumpster fire of a thing taking over the world and just causing complete chaos and everything to break down and you're like yes this feels like this year has felt the one thing that has me a little bit worried though patrick is we all have talked all year long about like oh just get me to 2021 just get me to 2021 and then like the news comes out today that this mutated virus has hit colorado and it's like you know what i don't think that there's going to be like some magic like veil of perfectness it's going to come across the world on january 1st unfortunately but hopefully things will maybe start to trend up just like yeah. they do for the characters in this <laughs> again i was uh, at a dentist appointment today where i got my semi-annual dose of nitrous oxide and i have no problem admitting that i get that every time and love it but i was talking to my hygienist and i said you know when it comes to the next year Everybody I've talked to has said, let's just ease into it. And I can just imagine personifying it by saying, like, it's a deer and we're the hunter. And we're like, just be just be very gentle with it. Don't 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 startle it. OK, because then, you know, we won't have those illnesses. We'll just kind of ease into 2021, not expect a lot from it and then let it surprise us with good things instead of going, yeah, 2021. And then it goes, hey, no, 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 no. Back off. So let's just ease into it. Let's treat it nice. Let's not scare it away. And then we can take it down. You know, it's kind of like my one more takeaway and what I'm going to say about this movie and how if you go into 2021 with really high expectations, you could be let down. But if you just go into it and let it do a thing, maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised. Um, my one word takeaway is inventive. And that is generally because I just couldn't think of the perfect one more takeaway. And for, and also, I will say, Patrick, I thought of a whole bunch of one more takeaways and then I quickly did a search through the notes and We've had so many episodes now that we're getting to the point where I'm running out of adjectives to say the things that I want to say. So I think reusing one words may end up being a thing here before too awful long because I'm just not finding it as easy to find the new and unique word. And people don't remember. You think they're going to remember if I used inventive 100 episodes ago? Probably, Probably not. not. Yeah. Well, I am thankful the patrons picked this because despite what, looking back on it, was actually pretty positive letterbox thoughts from the first time I saw this, I actually didn't remember it super fondly. Whenever it would come up in conversations, I would be like, oh yeah, that was a disappointment. That was a letdown. And I remember 
feeling like it was way too highly produced and that the songs were kind of too glossy. They weren't singing them. It was very clearly like tracks playing over acting, etc. And I didn't think that the humor landed very well. At least that's how it was in my memory. And this viewing for me was actually not something I voted for. I was like not necessarily looking forward to this. I threw it on there because I remember vaguely liking it. And I knew that there were a lot of fans of this in the Facebook group. And it was like an entirely new experience for me watching it this time around. I don't have any strong criticism to throw out there at all. I absolutely loved it. The inventiveness of mashing these genres together and the balance in which it manages drama, comedy, joy, tragedy, etc. I think it is expertly done and it's so unique and it makes this very special. It's really just kind of one of a kind. And I joked on social media when I started to watch this, I always post and I'm like, hey, I'm watching blah, blah, blah. And I say something. Well, I said that the two best songs were the first ones, Breakaway and Hollywood Ending, and that it's all down the hill from there. But I got to eat my words, bro, because they are all awesome, and I can listen to this soundtrack on repeat without hesitation. I am reminded of what we talk about all the time, and this is what I was kind of getting at earlier, how movies can affect us so differently at different times, various situations in our lives. And when I went into this the first time, it was... You know, post La La Land hype for me, and it was the first real musical, and I was so excited for it. I had these astronomical expectations of what this movie was going to be. I thought it was going to be my quote next La La Land, and it fell a little flat. I don't think that I was in the best mindset the night that I went to see it. I remember that pretty well as also. And this time I was expecting to be bored, and instead I just was blown away. I laughed my butt off, I smiled, I cried, I just fell so much in love with this. So much so, I watched it two times, back to back, last night. Not just for taking notes and such, but for absolute fun. And I pre-ordered, not pre-ordered, but imported the two-disc Blu-ray edition that you can't find in America for some stupid reason from England. So that's on its way. It's got a director's commentary and some cast interviews that I'm really um, anxious to get a chance to watch. And just, I'm all in on this movie. I want to consume everything about it. I've been listening to the soundtrack all day as I vacuumed my house and did other chores and stuff in between work. And so I guess there is such a thing as a Hollywood ending when it comes to my own appreciation of Anna and the Apocalypse. Yeah, you've kind of walked through the whole story in a non-zombie-like way, but the the beats are still the same, where you're like, I didn't expect this to happen, and you know what? It's actually going to be okay. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did, too. This is a first-time watch for me, and I wasn't going to be disappointed with anything on our list, so seeing Anna and the Apocalypse make the cut was uh, interesting. And not surprising, because I know that when we were talking about putting this list together, you mentioned that a lot of people were high on it. So I kind of went into it with no expectations. And what I came out with was the word redonkulous, because, you know, you really can't get much more crazy than mixing up a musical with a zombie apocalypse that takes place at the most hopefully cheerful time of the season or time of the year with with Christmas. So I think that it it works really well as one of those things where a lot of people call it a mashup of you know a and b or whatever you know whether it's la la land meets 
uh, Shaun of the, the Dead. Dead. <laughs> the... My personal mashup would be High School Musical meets One Cut of the Dead. And Brilliant. I think it's it's very fitting. It feels Pasek and Paul light in a lot of ways, which isn't bad. The movie takes place in a high school setting, which I'm always going to love, obviously. And so it had a lot of things going for it. So the only thing it could do to make it any less entertaining was, well, really nothing. What well, I wasn't blown away. didn't like overwhelmingly love it. But I think this is one of those that I'll probably pop in next year as part of my Christmas watching. My wife and I joke that our Christmas classics are now the things that were produced in the last probably 15 or 20 years as opposed to the traditional ones, which we still watch. But the things that we really kind of gear up for are the you know ABC families and the Hallmark things and whatnot. And I don't think she's going to probably be an Anna and Apocalypse kind of person. But I'll definitely have this on my list and experience the redonkulousness annually. You know, it's funny. I actually didn't watch any Christmas movies in the way that I would normally this year. The way that our Film Critic Awards cycle has gone, everything is delayed. We're not voting and, and doing anything until February. But the screeners have kind of come in, but they also came in a little bit delayed. And so normally I would have been voting on awards like the first week of December. And I would be done with 2020 movies, right? I would have seen them all. And so then I would like fill my palette with Christmas movies for those next three weeks. I didn't get in my annual watch of It's a Wonderful Life. I caught Home Alone on Thanksgiving Day with family. I caught Die Hard with family and Christmas Vacation with family over the Christmas break and days. But like that's just about it other than this one. But I'm with you. Like going forward, I think this will be an annual watch for me. And I actually... Wouldn't be surprised if you have a similar feeling as I have had when you end up coming around to it a second time. Because it is. I love the Pasek and Paul comparison and, and our love for Pasek and Paul and what they do. It does have some of that showmanship to it. And the way the lyrics are written are so great. And I think it's something that could resonate even more with you when you're watching it kind of on your own for fun and not sure. for the podcast. Right, I was just going to say that. that, And, and we'll go ahead and call this our spoiler warning because we'll get into the, the details of what I'm about to say. But the thing about a musical like Anna and the Apocalypse is that it's a very – it's that modern flavor as opposed to your more traditional. We said this about The Greatest Showman when we were talking about it a couple of years ago that its appeal is in its modernity. It has that kind of upbeat, current kind of rock and roll flavor to it as opposed to your more traditional. It's not good versus bad. It's just different. And when you fall in love with something like Dear Evan Hansen, as I did, anything that's going to sound similar to that, particularly by Pasek and Paul, is going to be one of those things where you are just going to default to, if you're going to give it a rating, start with a three and go up. It's not going to be disappointing because at the very least, Aaron, you have a soundtrack that you can listen to, even if you didn't like the movie, because the music's great. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But I wanted to talk about the musical aspect. I mean, this is a musical first and foremost. I actually didn't know a lot about it going into it. And I actually, and I did some Googling where I asked, is it a movie musical or a musical movie? Which is different. Sing Street is a movie musical where you have a narrative and then you have music that kind of spurts itself throughout but it's still memorable music as opposed to a musical where traditionally speaking 
characters start singing out of nowhere and there's a lot of great choreography and whatnot. Obviously, this is a full-blown musical. How do the songs and the style play against the backdrop of this zombie apocalypse? Because this is very different. This is, I mean, as far as I know, the first time we've seen a musical zombie apocalypse mashup genre. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere out there in the wide world of Hollywood that someone has done a musical number in some sort of zombie apocalypse film. But for me, this is, man, I, first of all, love musicals. So I'm coming into this in a way biased, I guess, or with an appreciation of the genre. So here's the thing. If you don't love musicals, if you don't enjoy musicals, move on, <laughs> right? I mean, I we're not talking to people at this point, hopefully, that haven't seen the movie. But those people are not going to suddenly love and on the apocalypse, I don't think, because it is a musical. And what I mean by that is characters break into song and they sing lyrics that advance the plot. And to me, this is what a great musical does. Sing Street has people singing songs that are definitely songs that relate to maybe the feelings of the characters when they're writing them. But that's different. This is a situation where your characters are moving forward. They're not stopping to play a song. They are moving forward in the plot. It has a progressive, propulsive nature to it. And as they talk, they are expounding upon things in which we've already learned about them. And I'll use... My names are always already going to get messed up. This can't be good. John. We'll use John as a perfect example of this because we have characters... Or all of the characters. We get a great little... Fun opening, hilarious, by the way, that the movie literally starts with the radio telling us that there is a zombie apocalypse, essentially. There's an outbreak happening, and we just flip the radio to Christmas music and then carry on with, like, our general, you know, on our way to school and work, you know, conversations and totally gloss over the fact of what has happened in the world. And that's why they don't know what's going on. But that aside, so we learn about the characters and what it is that they are experiencing in their life during this senior year of high school that they want to be different. You know, John has these feelings for Anna and isn't able to become the boyfriend that he wants to be. Anna wants to go and travel and get away. And her dad wants to keep her close um, and have her go to university and follow this set plan. Steph wants to, capture real life stories about the homeless and doesn't want to be censored by the, you know, awful, you know, wannabe principal Savage, which is a great name for, for that character uh, and, and so forth and so on. Chris is trying to figure out what to do with his video skills. He needs to figure out something real and everything he's come up with so far is not quite, you know, showing that to the teacher that th what she wants to see. And then we move into Breakaway immediately as the first big musical number. And it is the characters singing their emotional state of mind about what they feel and how they want to proceed. And it is a direct follow on to what we just found out about them. And so each and every song throughout the story is like that. And to me, I remember writing this in my review the first time I saw it, Patrick. I was like, this would work just as well as a stage musical. I would 
gladly go see this in a heartbeat if you put it on a theater stage because it would play just like it does on the big screen, essentially story-wise, because we get those awesome things. And I think for the music, the other thing I love about the music is that it's so different. It's varied. Like Breakaway is this incredible power ballad of a song. And Hollywood Ending is just a bop, right? It's just the most fun, memorable, bouncy. It's the one that more than anything reminds me of High School Musical um, as a song. And then, you know, you get like the 80s anthem of Soldier at War, you know, that Nick is singing when he's like smashing zombies. I absolutely love that song. And you get the maniacal, crazy, wackadoodleness of Savage's song at the end. And so they're all different, musically speaking, but they all say serve the same purpose, which is what a musical is supposed to do. Have your songs be intricate to the plot and actually move that story forward in some way. And I think it's perfectly paced through the songs, the way the songs come in between the narrative bits. So I, I love it. I think the music is spot on lyrically and musically. It's phenomenal. I would agree. I think that when you look at these songs and the way in which they do push that narrative, they're incredibly effective. And when you have something like the zombie apocalypse as your backdrop, I think it enhances those things because you mentioned that you could see this on a state as a stage play. I could too, but I think the background aspect of the zombies and the way in which the choreography plays in between verses and during choruses and things like that work really well on a big screen with a lot of camera cuts and the hyper violence that you would see in a horror movie like this, it would be more difficult to capture that kind of intensity and that kind of, I guess, over the top fun, if you want to call it that on a stage, it doesn't take away from the musical aspect of it at all. So it'd be interesting to see, what other events would be pushing this story along to produce these types of songs? Because if you listen to these songs individually, Spotify, without having context of what the movie's about, they feel like really solid songs about the struggles of high school and about moving on and about finding your identity. Obviously, Soldier at War is very specific to the movie, but the tone and the way and really the spirit of that song is about being your own man. And so what I think the zombie apocalypse backdrop does is it enhances those things. It puts them in a place where they're a refreshed idea. And so you're having fun with these different varied songs, the different styles, but you're threading them through this narrative that is so bonkers that you're kind of like, okay, how is this going to – oh, I see how this works. It reminds me a lot, honestly, Aaron, of Spontaneous that we watched earlier this year where you have the struggles of being in high school and graduating and the fears of what's going to happen afterwards. But it's set against this backdrop of these kids who are spontaneously exploding. And there is a real genuineness to that. Like there's some heart to that movie, not to give any kind of – spoilers away when we do our year in review i'm going to talk about that because it was a very surprise movie for me one that i enjoyed a lot and the big surprise from that the same thing with anna and the apocalypse is that you have this element of heart 
that exists in this movie that doesn't necessarily come out in a trailer or even in a series of songs that you're just listening to. That's difficult to do. I mean, musicals can invoke emotion, no doubts there. But when you throw in zombies, you're kind of asking the question, okay, how much are we going to poke fun? And are we just going to just have a blast watching this for an hour and a half? And on some levels, Aaron, that is what people enjoy. In fact, there are three versions of this movie. There's a short, medium, and long, and all three of them serve a particular audience. The middle version, which I believe is the one that's on Amazon right now that that I watched, is the middle one. It captures this balanced tone, getting most of the songs in there, and comes out, I think, at, at roughly like 90 minutes. The longer version actually adds another song to it that gives more context to the principal. And it creates this weird tonal shift because it happens near the beginning and it's like, okay, I don't really know about this. And then the shorter version actually cuts several songs. And I think I was reading an article from the director who said, we made that version for those who really don't like musicals. So it cuts several songs Wow! and it allows for you to, I mean, there are songs in there obviously because the plot can't move forward without a handful of them at least. But there's definitely a, an awareness for the fact that musicals are a niche genre. And frankly, so are this genre, this genre of horror comedy. You and I know, both know that I'm not necessarily the horror guy. I've come around to it. And I compared this to One Cut of the Dead that, that I saw earlier this year. And one of the things that I love, and I wanted to ask you about this, is that the subgenre of particularly zombies in the end of the world put an interesting spin on this movie, not only because of their presence, but because of the fact that I feel like the creative team behind this allowed for some of those tropes that we're used to to become what are cliche, are really more kind of nostalgic. I don't want to call it nostalgic, but things that we would get used to. So Obviously, the over-the-top gore, that's something you see in a zombie comedy. You have zombies that are walking around very much as undead, but in a way that doesn't feel very scary. And I think that when you have a movie like Anna and the Apocalypse, what it does is it allows you to appreciate both of those things. And I think that's one of the successes of this film is that it allows those who don't really like musicals to kind of get immersed in it. And those that don't know much about the zombie apocalypse subgenre to really appreciate that on a lighter level from a comedic standpoint. And I wanted to ask you, did you enjoy that aspect of it? And did you, did you think that some of those elements of the zombie apocalypse subgenre were effectively done in this movie? Well, I think they're all effectively done. And I will say right off the bat that I know this is going to be sacrilege to many people, but Shaun of the Dead is not like a super favorite for me. I think it's fun. It's fine. But those films don't do it for me on an emotional level in the way that something like Anne and the Apocalypse did. It Those films are so much more kind of just that British humor and leaning into that. And I think... Anna 
is a lot more for me like Zombieland in that there are characters, various characters with interplay and interrelationship issues that are going on that are being dealt with amidst this craziness. And at times the zombies are completely treated like an afterthought to what is happening in their worlds. One of my favorite parts of this movie is turning my life around the song where they've, you know, gone through the first day and we know that there is something happening. And the movie does a great job of like little nods to like, Oh, it's coming. It's coming. Like there's the girl with the inhaler and we just hear off screen the like huffing and puffing like a zombie's like behind someone. And she turns around, there's a girl, you know, with asthma. And then there's the banging on the door where Savage hears outside of the school on the, on that night, but that's all happens. And then the next morning, Anna and John have had this great conversation overnight and are both reinvigorated. And they're like, you know what? We're going to go and we're going to embrace our new life. We're going to, we're going to do what we said in that song, break away. And we are going to go after what we want our life to look like and to be like. And they're just both like simultaneously dancing down their streets. while you know, the world is a complete dumpster fire around them. And I think it's a great visual comedic representation of what they're feeling because clearly realistically they don't not see zombies and cars crashing and like murder happening, blood flying all around them. Right. But it it shows you like what that's what that feeling is like when you have your headphones on and you're so full of positivity and optimism that nothing in the world can bring you down no matter what. Like there's a zombie apocalypse literally right five feet from you and all you can see is that excitement that you have. And not only that, but it's a phenomenal musical number too, stagey in the way that it has two characters who are simultaneously going through something, singing on their way to each other. There's another number like this towards the end where characters sing kind of at each other, which is another great musical song kind of style that I really like that is a different style than some of the other songs in this. But like there's bits like that. And then that one ends of course with like the, Oh, there's this random guy and he's attacking me and they, you know, kill the zombie and knock his head off. And they just have this half serious reaction to it. And I just love the way that the movie kind of oscillates and in his paced because it starts off with just a little bit of those comedic moments. And then it kind of keeps those throughout the film. Like it's more comedy when they're, dancing around the bowling alley and killing zombies for the first time. That's kind of fun and hilarious. And what the movie does repeatedly is it will give us that tone and then something serious will happen. Like somebody will get bit or killed and it will bring us back into that reality of like, this is actually a horror movie. Like there are people that are not going to make it out of this film alive. And that is something that I think is really special for this film in particular is the way that not all of the characters you would think would be the ones that are there at the end are going to be there at the end. The trio that we're left with is kind of a weird group and it 
just plays this balancing act, as I mentioned earlier, to me perfectly. Like, I'm never quite certain what's going to come next. Is it going to be more laughs? Am I going to be smiling? Am I going to be, like, crying like crazy because my guy is sacrificing himself? Or my two characters that I thought were going to be just fine aren't going to be just fine? Like, it, it just is able to do that in a way that I think something like a zombie land doesn't quite hit those same deeper emotional beats. It's weird to me. Like it's, it's hilarious and it definitely has moments of fear, but just this, this roller coaster that Anna is, I think is really unique and special for this particular kind of mashup of a genre. And for someone who doesn't love blood and guts and doesn't love like straight comedies necessarily very often and definitely doesn't love just horror films. The lighthearted nature of this one mixed in with it allows me to enjoy those scary and gross elements in a way that I normally wouldn't. And I also think the humor is really good because it's modern. There are phenomenal little jokes in here about like, who would be a zombie? Celebrities like, oh, you know, Tony, he's Tony Stark, like Robert Downey Jr. will be fine. And then one of my favorites is when the guy's like, what do you think about Taylor Swift? And he's like, do Taylor not, <laughs> do not say that. Tay-Tay will be fine. And I was like, yeah, I'm like screaming at the TV like, yes, John, you tell him, right? But like, to me, those modern elements of this story really bring me into it as well, because I'm like, you know what? These are kind of conversations you would have, I think, in real life if some of these things were going on around you, uh, potentially, you know, if you have a moment of safety, that's the kind of comedic thing you're going to have. And you're going to talk about with your friends to try and keep yourself from losing your crap over the world ending around you. There's a sense of levity that is very realistic that you mentioned. And a couple of things that I wanted to bring up one, this movie captures two things about high school specifically that I wanted to bring up one it's that there is a focused mindset on immediate like I'm determined to get to my dad or I'm determined to get out of here and in that number that you mentioned which is fantastically choreographed I think it epitomizes what goes through a high school person's mind which is what matters to me is what matters and the world might be going crazy, and I can't even tell that it is because I'm so focused on my own stuff. Now, that's a very human, selfish thing. I mean, we all do that. But high school students, I speak from experience. That's how I was. I was focused specifically on my life. I wasn't really caring much about what was happening on the other side of town or with other people's issues because my own issues outweighed theirs. Very much what happens when you are a high school student. The other thing about this movie that I really enjoyed is the central character of Anna and how she really encapsulates a sense of balance among these other characters. You need someone to anchor everyone else. And what we see is someone who's scared at times, but not overly scared, who's determined at times, but not overly determined. And it seems like everyone around her doesn't necessarily gravitate towards her, but they see her as someone who is determined to get to something at the end, which everybody is. Everybody's got a motivation, but we walk with her because we centralize on her. And of course, 
we lose her best friend. And so by the end of the film, she's the one that we're probably the closest connected to. And I think watching this, it allows me to connect with her emotionally and with the film as a whole. And Aaron, you're right. The conversation in the bowling alley, I think, is fantastic because it speaks to what I think a lot of us have done with this entire year. We try to find that levity in a lot of the chaos. And oftentimes that can get mistranslated as not caring, but we need the Annas in our lives. We need the characters in this movie in our lives to help us recognize that we can laugh at some of these things. We're not laughing at the tragedy that is happening here, just like these guys are not laughing at the fact that their friends are all being zombified. But for me, I think one of the funniest things was when they were asking those questions about who would become a zombie. And at one point, one of the guys says, Oh, Justin Bieber just turned <laughs> or they do the, uh, the Instagram posts, the selfies. I thought these are things that high school kids today and possibly a lot of us would do not just to pass the time, but to remind us that we do live in a world that doesn't have to be crazy, even if it's full of craziness. And so if there's any lesson that we can learn from this movie about this year in particular, it's that the world doesn't have to be so crazy that we can't find some kind of humor in it. That's really good. I think also with that like scene that we were both mentioning with the bowling alley, that first killing scene, two things I noted. One is, you know, they're not using guns in this movie. They're using like spatulas and tables and pool cues and whatever they can get their hands on, which is realistic. And a much more feels more fitting to how like everyday people in a high school situation would have to fight zombies and they get sick after. So they have this hilarious kind of dance type, you know, smosh, a singing number where they're, you know, having fun with killing zombies. But then the reality of that is captured after that moment where you get a beat of a character being like, OK, that was disgusting. I just murdered someone and, and had to kill someone and they throw up. Right. And for me, those little pieces are what make it so special and different than just a comedy. Like so many movies would lean into the comedy of it and they would get you laughing and just transition you from laugh to laugh to laugh. But this gives you those quick little hitters to make you remember like there's stakes and these people are being emotionally drained and they're changing and having to deal with this chaos and uh, and they're struggling through it. And so I think that that's part of what it is able to balance its way through in ways that make it stand out for me in this kind of a genre. For sure. I mean, Anna herself wields a candy cane by the end of the film, and it's a appropriate weapon of choice, which really brings me to my next question about the backdrop for this is, of course, Christmas. This is a Christmas movie because it takes place during Christmas. I mean, you can't really deny the fact that it's a Christmas movie. Does the setting, does the season of it being Christmas enhance the movie for you? Could you have enjoyed this equally as much if it were not around a holiday? What did it do for you in terms of being set during this time of year? It doesn't have to be set at Christmas. It can be set anytime. However, what I will say is that I think it lends itself 
well to the way a film would typically look in this genre. There would be a lot of darkness or grays, zombie flesh type scenes and colors. And Christmas brings a colorfulness to it. And just a joyfulness that kind of puts you in the mindset of accepting that this is a musical and enjoying the fun parts of this film because people are doing all of these things, not just hilariously, but they're doing them hilariously while wearing a light up Christmas sweater, you know, (laughs) or it's not just a zombie in a costume. It's a zombie in a snowman costume. And so I think that, you know, with Christmas, it's a time that we sing Christmas carols. We don't do that for any other real holiday for the most part. We don't have sets of songs that are specific to them. And so it plays well with the nature of it being a musical and the fact that they're going to be singing and going to be having fun with that. The Santa baby song wouldn't exist the way it does if it was some other it completely subverts the audience. Hilarious moment, by the way, watching the adults in the audience react to the way that she sings that song, <laughs> especially when she says, come on over and unload your sack. And I just die. I die every time. But um, but like the looks on their faces and then grandma's just bopping along just having a fun time with it not not really understanding what she is singing about to her grandson anyway and all the while she's like i love the characters patrick i love them all the while she's actually like it's hilarious song it's kind of vulgar has this subtext to it because it's subverting this traditional christmas song that we know and love and doing something different to it and yet there's also an emotional thing going on with that character because she's singing this song and inwardly she is dealing with the fact that the love of her life is not there to watch it and that that's the one thing that she desperately wants. I don't know. They're so good. So good. So tight in the way that this is written. But what are we talking about? Christmas? Yeah, Christmas. So I don't think that it had to be said at Christmas, but I honestly can't imagine it working as well for me outside of that. And I think ultimately with the way that Christmas is a season of hope and joy. That's what the characters are all wanting to find for themselves. And there's a, a sense of the the season of being able to give for each other. I mean, there's some sacrifice that happens multiple times from characters that have to give of themselves for others and so I think that it works really, really well. Uh, and yet I don't know that it had to be there in any specific way. I can't point to one thing where I would say this doesn't work in the plot. If you take Christmas out of the movie completely and put something else there, I just think that it enhances it in a way that makes it special. Yeah. This is the spoiler on the car for me where you look at something like Christmas comparison. It just adds to the flavor of what the movie is trying to do, because we can all agree that Christmas can be a really great and a really crappy time of year at the same time. If you're hanging out with the wrong people, if you're not able to hang out with people as we are this year, these things really are played for laughs and for 
emotional connectivity in a movie like this. And just like what we see is the zombie comedy aspects that add to the musical aspect, the Christmas season and all of its tropes get thrown in as well. Plus, as I mentioned before, I love the fact that our heroine here is wielding a giant candy cane and just taking these zombies out whenever she needs to. So it's pretty fantastic. Well, speaking of characters, we're going to play a little game here. We're going to call it fantasy character, reality character. Got to pick a character in this movie that you would absolutely relate to realistically and who you would absolutely relate to fantastically, like who you would want to be and then who you would actually be. So what do you think? Who do you relate to? And they can be the same person. That's fine. But it's a lot more fun if they're not. So that gives you a little incentive. So who would your character be? Like, who would you relate to? If you were in this movie, who would you be realistically? And then who would you be if you, like, this is like my alter ego? Well, I'm John. I John is pining for the girl <laughs> secretly and she kind of knows it but just kind of ignores it and i don't want to go into too much detail because this will tie in a bit to somewhat of my connecting point here but uh, i'm definitely john in this scenario i think he's the nice sweet guy and he is always going to be there for someone he likes to kind of try to get out his feelings for Anna through his actions and b without being very direct about them. He likes to try and express it in other ways. And that's the kind of person that I am. The person I want to be is Nick because Nick is fun. And Nick is also awful and toxic masculinity at its worst, of course. But I love that Nick gets a bit of a deeper storyline to him when we are having that conversation between him and Anna and she's like, why did you leave me? Or why did you, you know, just drop me after we had sex that night? And he's like, what's the big deal? And she's like, no, it's because we talked and we, I shared my future with you and you just let it, you didn't care. And, uh, and so he's not the best dude, but he, then she says something to him like, you know, when have you ever had to do anything for somebody else? And he, he talks about having to kill his dad, which I think then puts his manliness aspect and his toxic, toxic masculinity that he displays during the incredible, incredible number soldier at war, um, really back into perspective. And I think without that, that song is a little tone deaf in 2018, 2020 playing. It's like, okay, so yes, Here's the guy. But I mean, tone deaf in the sense that these people really exist. His dad is in the military, so he's grown up that way. Um, but he's this big, bad manly man who's got this little groupies of kids that follow him around and, you know, they loot with him and all this other stuff. And uh, and yet I just it's that song, man. It, it's it feels like a song if Zombieland was a musical. The lyrics are fantastic, right? The when it comes to killing zombies, I'm the top of my class. While you've been hiding, I've been kicking some ass. I love it. I love it. And I just, the way he sings it is freaking phenomenal. I think it's Ben Wiggins is his name, but he hits these like super high pitched. I know the best form of defense is attack 
part and it's just it's great it's so much fun so entertaining he's walking around with his bat it's so staged and cinematic and like there's little nods in there in that moment as well like one of the kids has like wolverine claws at one point i don't know if you caught that but there's just a quick shot and he's got wolverine claws as he's killing a zombie anyway it's great but i would in a zombie apocalypse this is the point i would want to be nick because nick is a killer and a survivor and if I was John, who I really would be, I would ex- I would turn out exactly like John. I would end up sacrificing myself for someone I loved, and I would be eaten and dead. So that's my real versus fantasy. Perfectly great picks. Perfectly great picks. I would choose as my reality pick probably Chris. And I think it's because I love the way that he cares for the people in his life obviously he is in love with lisa wants to spend the rest of his life with her in that high school i love you kind of way and like you like you my connecting point connects to him so i'll leave the details of that for that but i love how he cares for his grandmother i love how he is determined to be someone who is knowing he's not whole without her. And I love how he almost pauses his grief when he sees his grandmother pass away and he says the he says this great thing here and he says at least she didn't have to live through this. Like that she died peacefully. And I thought that was really really just quaint, quiet and I think that's how I would be. I would be someone who tries to have a level head, understands that it's just chaos around me. And I'm going to be a follower at that point. I'm going to follow the the Nicks and the Annas and move forward, knowing that there will be some sacrifices, there will be some death, and I don't have time to grieve that right now. There will be a time for that. Now, who would I want to be? I'd want to be Steph for one moment and one moment alone. Her coming around at the end with her car and saying, boom, saved your life. I want to be that person that just has no apology about this is not going to take me down. I love how she goes into Savage's office and just starts pulling stuff out of this like secret compartment that he's been keeping all the students crap in. And she's like, (laughs) yeah. And she's like, oh, that's going to be a weapon. Yeah, I can do that. That would be me, like just going through stuff and being like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to say something. I'm going to take these guys down if I have to. Her determination is absolutely fantastic. And when that exclamation point comes at the end with her car you know, rolling up, I'm like, that's going to be me. I want that to be me. It probably won't, but I want it to be me. You want to be Chloe. She's Chloe. She's she's so much like Chloe to me. She I mean, she she's is. the journalist. She's she yeah. wants the truth, and at any cost, she is there for the friends, even when they don't necessarily treat her like a friend all the time. And like, yep. she is so much like Chloe, in my opinion. Um, a lot saltier too. She got a lot of salt. But yeah, she is. She's definitely salty. Um, she's definitely <laughs> salty. And that's the thing, man. Like the character development in this is so great to me. And probably I'm catching a lot of this because I watched it back to back, which. Frankly, it's rare. It's not like this is a commonplace thing for me. Most movies don't capture my attention to make me want to do that. Even the ones I love, like, you've got to have a rewatchable quality to you that would make me want to do that. 
you know, I, there's plenty of movies that are five star films that I would never want to sit through back to back. Like, I don't know, Eyes Wide Shut or something. But the, this movie, like, you can just turn it on and put it on repeat. I can do that with La La Land, too. Maybe it's something about musicals. It just it makes it easy. But I was able to pick up on so much more that second time. Just the little extra bits of character beats and shots that show how much it is affecting her that she was left behind by her parents and that she can't get hold of her girlfriend and just how lonely she is and how this experience is providing her a sense of relationship and closeness that she wouldn't ever have had without that. And specifically that plays into, you know, the Christmas thing as well, because we have characters who Christmas is a holiday when you want to be spending time with people and we have characters who are missing loved ones and or not with the people that they would normally want to be with. And so they're in the midst of now this makeshift family that helping them get through the season in a way uh, so that there's that aspect, too. But yeah, I love it. I think your picks are actually spot on for you. All right. One last question before we get to our connecting point, and that is favorite musical number. I know that you love all these tracks, at least on this most recent view. Oh, man. I When Breakaway comes on, the beginning, I think it is legit one of the best opening numbers to any musical I have ever seen. I, I It is right there with Another Day of Sun for me in La La Land. And I think that it is such a powerful opening number, and it just puts you in the musical frame of mind right away. A Hollywood ending is the absolutely like unique to this movie track that is like, you know, Breakaway is the kind of song that you could take it out. And because of the thematic nature of it, of what they're singing about, you could put that in other stories and dramas and it would fit. Hollywood ending feels so specific to these characters at this time in this story and it's just like that perfect balance like we talked about with high school musical it's so much fun and it's so stagey hollywood music hollywood ending is the song that you would be pumped the most about acting out on stage breakaway is the song that you'd want to be the lead because you'd want to be the vocal powerhouse to like hit those notes soldier at war you know, is also kind of like that in one sense because of it's such a solo like act that goes along with that. Um, but dude, they're also memorable. Human voice is incredible. Like the emotionality of that song. It's not my favorite from a re-listening to it standpoint, particularly, but I still love it. And I think it lyrically is, could be possibly like the most thematically strong song in the whole movie Uh, most important one about like disconnecting and like the fact that we live in a world that doesn't allow us to interact with people and and engage with people like we should and so i i don't know i i love them it's easier for me to pick like maybe one or two that i don't love as much which is the stupid mackerel fish song or whatever <laughs> the it's, fish rap come on throw some love there it's come on. funny don't throw shade. it's funny <laughs> I, it's funny but it's not one that i would you know i'm like it's a laugh moment and then yeah. the you know principal savages number at the end is like a bonkers fun one but it's not one that i necessarily remember singing my way through constantly 
I honestly don't know that I have a favorite. I feel like I'm picking between favorite children at this point, but I think the most re-listenable, is that a word? I know, like rewatchable is the word, but re-listenable, that doesn't sound right. But I think that the one that I could play as a song on repeat over and over and over the most is Breakaway. It's the mo- It feels like just the most, it's a pop ballad, you know? And so it feels like it could be on the radio today. Uh, a normal song from like Taylor Swift or, you know, name your pop star, whatever. And so I guess I'll go with that, but please don't. Anybody listening to this, I swear, if you come at me on social media and you're like, eh, you didn't pick my favorite song, I'm not really picking. I'm just naming something so that Patrick doesn't get on my butt about it, okay? I actually love them all. What about you? Do you have a favorite? Well, this time around, which is my first time around, I had two. Hollywood ending is obviously the big standout in terms of the reasons you just mentioned that you'd want to see this acted out on stage. Turning my life around, I think is probably my favorite because of the fact that it plays so well in a film aspect of it. Having the choreography that it does is unbelievable. And the fact that we're following these two people we're seeing the chaos, and the chaos isn't distracting, but it plays really well into that contrast where Anna's got her headphones on, she's jamming, she's singing. It's a musical number, Aaron. That is exactly a microcosm of what a musical is. It's this unapologetic need to step out and sing when it doesn't make sense to. It's why musicals exist, because they give people excuses to randomly start singing about their life in the midst of their life. And I don't know a lot of people that do that. If they do, they usually get help by professionals that I have to report, you know, in the sense of a musical, you have that kind of ability where you're given permission to do that. And I think turning my life around is such a personification of that because these two characters until the very end, of the song are completely oblivious to the world around them. And I love that. I love that even if that's not being done intentionally, I think it speaks to the metaphor of how musicals can be wonderful and how they should be experienced as something that we should enjoy for the sake of their slight absurdity, but also with that grain of heart that exists in the music and lyrics, which is why you and I both love Dear Evan Hansen because the songs make the story in as much as the story makes the songs. And I think Anna and the Apocalypse does this too. So, yes, that would be this time around, much like you, turning my life around. It's going to be the one for me. See, that's the real answer I wanted to give when you say, which is your favorite song, Aaron? Yes, that's my answer. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so – for those of you listening, the fish rap comes in at number one for him. Goodness gracious. With, every, with everything else, 1A, 1B, Stop 1C, it. 1D. <laughs> All right. Let's get into our connecting points. <laughs> the part of the show. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's funny. The part of the show where we uh, talk about what we connected with the most. If you're not familiar with that, if you are listening to this episode, surely you're a veteran with the Feel and Film listener base. Aaron, why don't you get us started? Sure. Well, mine is 
a scene midway through the film, maybe three quarters of the way, two thirds, I don't know, where they are about to go back into the school. They've met up with Nick and the crew and John is pushing Anna in a shopping cart and they're having conversation. He says something like, it's so weird. You hear about riots and revolutions in other countries, but not here, which I found fascinating considering the times. He says, we could die. At least, and, he, and then he follows this up by saying, at least you won't be going anywhere anymore. So that's something. It's different now. You can't just leave. And this is where I really resonate with John. This is a great example of it because I know what this feels like. And I'm an emotional person. And when I love, I love strong. And, uh, and so this dialogue and him expressing to her here that he doesn't really want her to leave is so beautifully tied into earlier in the film when they have the conversation they're making snow angels in the park and he's talking about how he's gonna train and get better at running so he can go run in the outback with her and basically he's being supportive of her patrick he is playing the role of a best friend should and he is saying i want you to go do the things that you want to do and i want you to experience the world in the way that i know is going to make you happy and right here these few lines are him telling the truth and saying, I don't want you to go. <laughs> and I'm kind of happy that you're going to have to stay, essentially, is what he is saying. And she turns it on him and she says, John, you know that you're my best friend, right? And there's a pause. He looks at her and she says, my best friend. And his response is to say, switch and he gets into the cart and this is so important because the way that his facial expressions describe his emotions in this scene are so spot on to me he intentionally wants to get in the cart so that he no longer has to look at her he's able to look out in a way and she is not looking at his eyes his face she can't read on it the disappointment. She can only see the back of his head. I think that's huge. I've, I mean, I've been there, right? I mean, we probably all have been there. We don't want someone to see how sad we just got made. <laughs> we want them to think we're okay. And that's what this moment um, is giving us. And I think there is a beauty to this scene and the way that it kind of encompasses what has come before and what is going to come directly after, which is John getting bitten and then having to sacrifice himself to save Anna. You know, at the beginning of the film, he sings in Hollywood ending specifically. His lyrics are about how sometimes the guy doesn't get the girl. And he even said, and he even says, if this was a movie, maybe I'd get the girl. But it is a movie, Patrick. He doesn't get the girl. And this moment is so unique to me because every other movie is going to put the two love interests or, or the guy who wants the girl or whichever way it's 
made out to be, almost any other movie, she is going to acknowledge that she has had some secret feelings for him as well, or because of the height situation and the stakes and the scariness and the fear of the zombie apocalypse she's going to embrace her feelings for him because he's the nice guy he's the one that's always been there he's loved her and she's going to say you know what john i realized how crazy i am because the world is ending and i love you and i'm going to give you a kiss and then he's going to maybe go sacrifice himself or whatever but he doesn't he goes to his death sacrificing himself as a friend and as nothing more than that and he knows it fully and i just i think it's brilliant i think it is completely unique in the storytelling something that if i've seen it before it's so rare that i can't recall it and i just think it's amazing uh, the way that the character relationship and dynamic plays out between them and it all boils down to this moment this moment of you're my best friend, my best friend. And that has value. <laughs> and so many of our stories don't allow us to see characters who place value on friendship, be they same sex or sex or especially opposite sex or romantically involved. Potentially that is considered to be the end all be all, but not this movie. Um, and it's beautiful um, and super tragic. I think more tragic in a sense because of that for me. That's great, man. And I think that John's death helped kind of solidify what my connecting point was. It wasn't his death, but it was what came after it. For me, it was the last moments that Lisa and Chris had together. We'd just gotten through a scene, a couple of scenes earlier where Chris is saying goodbye to his grandmother and they're trying to escape through this horde of zombies who are, funnily enough, funnily? That's not right. Interestingly enough, in a funny way, hooked on these home video, the real, you know, Chris's reel of his movies. And it's interesting because early on in the film, he's being told by his teacher, what do these say about you? Essentially saying, are they saying something important about you? And what I find interesting is that it's that real, as far as I can tell, that ends up saving the people around him with the exception of himself and Lisa. And this is where I got really surprised because up to now, we'd seen some sacrifice. We'd seen some people get killed. And when we see John get killed, in turn, we're like, okay, the stakes are raised now. Not everybody's going to survive. And so I think for a character like Chris in particular, who I connect with, he realized that it's 50-50 if he's going to get out. And it's this particular scene where they're crawling through and they realize that they can't leave. They're going to be killed at some point and they get bitten. And rather than showing us them turning and attacking those that haven't been, we see them together in their last moments, holding each other, looking at each other, and enjoying being together in those final moments. That's something I don't see a lot. I mean, of course, I don't watch a lot of zombie movies, but 
oftentimes what we see are the results of a bite. We see this punishing turning of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. What we're seeing here, Aaron, are two people that know what their fate is and are accepting it. And I love the look that that Chris gives when he looks back at Steph and he nods at her and she nods at him and she leaves and she's not crying because that's not her character. She's not connected to him in any way, but she sees what he's doing. She sees what, what Lisa is doing. And I love that moment because it's so quiet in the midst of this chaos. You know, what's going to happen, but you don't care. And I think in part, what I love about this is the fact that they are actually giving her a chance to get away by staring at each other, by holding each other, knowing that they're turning. They're actually allowing Steph to leave and move forward. And I think in the same way, I, I'm not saying that he wouldn't have done this had he not seen his grandmother uh, pass away or gotten to her when he did. I don't think he saw his life at that point being futile. I think he knew that if he was going to die, he wanted to be with the one that he loved. And I love the fact that he got that, that he got a chance to be with the one he loved. And as sick as this sounds to share that experience with her. And to me, it was really sweet and it was sad and it was all these things at once. And it surprised me how emotionally it got me because I didn't expect it. You know, when I see John getting killed and I see Anna responding the way she does, I'm like, yeah, that that's hurtful. I guess that's going to be the high point. Nope, not for me. <laughs> it was Chris and Lisa. A couple that I really didn't necessarily connect to up until that point because they weren't played for laughs. They were played, but they weren't played as central figures. They were part of this crew. And I think on my rewatch, I'll focus more on them and see how that kind of affects my movie experience. So that was, that was my connecting point for, uh, for this one. Yeah, it was a close second for me, honestly. And I think that you're right. I think when you get a chance to revisit it, you are going to, gain even more appreciation for their relationship because again like the little nuances there are no wasted moments in this movie and i i think i've talked about this plenty on social media and probably on podcasts but like there's a element of this quarantine in the last nine nine months now of movie watching that has all been distracted viewing for me and i have rarely had the experiences where I was able to fully just soak into a movie and not get onto my phone or onto my laptop or whatever. And when I watched Anna like that, man, every moment, every little piece of this film has something extra to add to those characters in a positive and interesting and neat way. And I think you're going to find that as well. And it, and it just, it does, it makes that scene so sad um, and so beautiful. The way, the way his little, the way he waves, at Steph too, it just breaks me. Like he's, he's kind of, he just, he's like saying, no go. It's okay. 
goodbye and she just she has to leave and it's terrible right and i love that the movie ends with those three like going off into the i don't i can't say sunset because it's like snowing and it's christmas but like who knows right what they're gonna do but they have that great final number we didn't even mention it i will believe it's a perfect ending for this because you know the lyrics again she says where is the light that used to shine where is the life that once was mine you know it's all gone but while there's hope while i still breathe i will believe and there's a fantastic moment where anna just stops after that song and she takes a deep breath closes her eyes and acknowledges that she's alive and that there is a future and that there is the next moment exists for her and she's going to embrace that whatever it may hold with whoever she may be with whatever it is it kind of is a great way to end this because they start off in that place of like wanting something that they don't have and it all of this awful tragedy and chaos teaches them to embrace the moment essentially um, it's beautiful i love the movie love it love it love it i'll shut up <laughs> well on that note we're gonna wrap this episode of feeling film and we'll say goodbye to 2020 coming up after the new year we're gonna bring you our annual year in review well we'll talk about what well 2020 there were movies that came out we promise we'll talk about them and we'll give you our thoughts on some of our favorites along with a bunch of other stuff that we'll talk through as that becomes probably one of our most anticipated episodes at the end of the year because we get to talk about just the craziness that was the year that we just had and then uh we hope you tune in for that and if you're a faithful patron check out the bonus content in your feed for some top five love that we throw at our favorite movie spaceships aaron thanks for another great conversation and thank you everyone for listening we'll talk soon hey everyone thanks again for listening if you enjoy the show we'd love to hear from you you can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.